to a very special episode of the Black Cast. We used to do shows like this a lot more often in the days of the Dennis Miller show, but I wasn't clever enough back then to use the title I have for this one, Repurpose Palooza. That's not that clever, but I feel clever. Uh, we'll be sharing with you a couple of very special in-depth interviews that I did for my friends over at the Popcorn Talk Network and After Buzz TV. Uh, first up is a sit-down with Kevin Murphy of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Riff Tracks about their Riff Tracks Live Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion show, which was amazing, but for your sake, it will be rebroadcast next Tuesday, July 12th. For more information, go to rifftracks.com. Then it's a chat that I had about my beloved New York Mets with actor, comedian, musician, Jim Brewer, who is a huge Mets fan, which was part of the premiere episode of the show that I co-host, Mets Rap 360. But first, let's talk to Kevin Murphy, formerly of Mystery Science Theater 3000, currently of Rift Tracks. Kevin Murphy. Kevin, thanks so much to be here. It's great to see you again. Wow. Oh, what a great crowd you've got here, that, Kristen. It's, oh, please, folks. Yeah, oh, no. That Thank you so much. That really does add to the uh, Rupert Pupkin quality <laughs> that you were talking about earlier. Well, I teased it a little of my awkward intro, but let's dive right into what we have to talk about today. Okay. Rift Tracks Live's Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion show will be in select theaters. Uh, let's see, two nights, June 28th, July 12th. More information, go to fathomevents.com or rifttracks.com. And uh, for the uninitiated in our audience, talk a little bit about what Rift Tracks is. I mean, because whether you know what MST3K was or not, uh, this is a little different. So just explain what Rift Tracks is and how the Rift Tracks Live works. Well, um, after Mystery Science Theater ended, and, and the basic premise is it's a bunch of wiseacres talking back to movies right. while you watch. And that, if you get that, then you know it's like a live running film commentary. Um, and after Mystery Science Theater ended, uh, Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and I were looking for ways to do what we did because we loved it so much and there seemed to be an audience for it. Um, and we kept batting away at how do we get like first-run features, you know, current sure, features yeah. that are on DVD into this. And then along comes the era of podcasting where compression allows you to do a really nice uh, file that's essentially a film commentary that people can sync up and roll their own at home. Uh, so when that came along, we thought, no, now we have something that we can actually sell to people. Right. And then by doing it that way, you don't have to worry about getting the rights to any of these movies. You know, it's right. just you sync it up like 
some people like myself did when you you took Dark Side of the Moon and synced it up with Wizard of Oz. It's not that hard. You just the third lion roar, you uh, hit right. play, yeah. and it's the same idea. Which I thought was great when I first heard about it. I was very excited that you know you guys had figured out a way to to keep doing it, but it, you weren't limited to you know public domain movies or whatever. And yeah. you know it, it's at the same time you're not also saying that a movie that you guys do is a, necessarily a bad movie. No. You know by doing a Star Wars movie I mean I'd say about half of the Star Wars movies are bad you guys do the good ones too right but it's there's still funny plenty of funny things to hear yeah. when you watch like the original Star Wars so uh, yeah. yeah and it's great especially when it's a movie like that that most people already have well you know, it, they don't have to download the mp3 and then go buy a DVD because you have it exactly you know? yeah. yeah well and as a challenge uh, for us one time Bill Corbett uh, suggested we do Casablanca wow it's ter- it turned out great because it, it was more like the way we uh, term it is more like a roast Oh, like that's some, a great taking them yeah, you know and love and roasting them because you look back, it's still. I mean, it's still on one of my. It's like my, one of my top five films. Oh, wow. when yeah. I when I tick it off, um, and uh, and it, but it's so stylized, it's so of its time that it, to a modern audience, it, it seems rather maybe melodramatic or hammy or something like that. And it's still a wonderful film. So it was fun to you know you know tuck into Peter Lorre, you know, <laughs> and Claude yeah. Rains, yeah, uh, great characters. So it was great fun. And now, interestingly enough. Uh, even for films that are a little bit more obscure, we're developing an app. Yeah, I've seen posts about it. I was going to ask you what's the latest with the app. It's still still in the uh, the testing stage, from what it sounds still like. Still in the testing yeah. stage. It is it is that close, and believe me, we will trumpet it to the rafters when it is official and bulletproof and ready to go. Um, and it works both on Android and on iOS. And uh, the essentially it's it works a little bit like Shazam does it recognizes the soundtrack of whatever movie that you've got right. on if we have a riff for it and you've downloaded it it'll automatically sync up oh that's great even even if you break for a commercial it will it will you can pause it it'll oh, wow. end up syncing up again and that's how well it works um, so you can do it. You're just watching a movie at night on you know a streaming channel, and you say, "Gee, I've got a riff for that movie," or there is a riff for that movie, and you can download it quickly and yeah. sync it up like boom. The, you know, the other day I randomly got sucked into Star Trek Three, which is far from one of my favorite Star Trek movies. <laughs> exactly. But if I had the app on my phone, I'd be like, "This is going to be a little bit more entertaining than just watching you know Christopher Lloyd sweat under all that makeup." That's right. So talk about how riff tracks turned into the Rift Tracks Live and how that works where people can go to movie theaters well, uh, much as they can go on June 28th and July 12th. That's right, for our uh, reunion show with Mystery Science Theater yes. and I will tell you all about that. Yes. Um, well, one of the things is uh, we like doing it in front of an audience. It's really fun to do what we do in front of an audience because we feed off the audience, they feed off of us and, and seeing what we do in a crowd we learned a long time ago um, just makes it, for some reason, ten times as funny as seeing it at home. So... Um, but none of us wanted to go out on the road. Sure. Either because no. we have families or, like me, I'm just old and lazy. <laughs> uh, so uh, we thought uh, David G. Martin, who is our CEO, and he's like a crack. We wouldn't survive without a business head like oh, his. of course, yeah. Um, said, uh, well, we can try out this thing where you go to a theater and shoot it and then uh, simulcast it live to hundreds of theaters across uh, the country. Fathom Entertainment is the name of the place and they've got this button down. And we went and saw a few of them. Uh, saw one, you know, they do the Metropolitan Opera, which yeah. is great. Uh, they did This American Life, which was not what you call exciting movie No, but for people who enjoy the show, just seeing how it works. Yeah, and yeah. it worked. So yeah. we thought, boy, if it can work with that range of entertainment, yeah. then it'll work fine for us. So the first one we did... Uh, 
we've done 20 of them now, and the first one was Plan 9 from Outer Space. Right, I remember the, yeah. the first one coming about, and I uh, was very excited that because I was familiar with what you guys were doing, because not only did you have the MP3s, but you'd started to put a few of them out on DVD, and I had a few of those. So to have it in the theater was great, yeah. um, and I don't know, I feel like it's one of those things that it should be easy to explain to people what it is, but I've brought people to the Rift Tracks Lives event. Mm-hmm. My my wife wasn't familiar with Mystery Science Theater; she didn't know what it was, and I was just like, I, I was in the middle of explaining. I'm like, trust me, you're gonna laugh, and she <laughs> loves it. She like will you know she'll like quote things from some of them, and it's just one of those things that it's like it should be easier to explain, but for some reason, probably for you because you have to explain it all the time, it, you you have it down. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's great. You just you go to a movie theater, and the funny thing about it, you're in a movie theater, and your performance, especially when we see them here on the West Coast. It happened, you know, three hours earlier. Right. But people will applaud at the point where the crowd there in in the theater applaud, and it just really does feel like a live event, uh, yeah. you know, which is I don't know, which is fantastic. That's what we're going for because it's it's also done in HD, so yeah. it's a really nice picture when it gets to the the theater, and so it does have that feeling when you sit in your local theater of actually participating in a live event. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the amazing thing that for you know just looking at the live events, it's been such a wide range of movies. I mean, you mentioned Plan Nine, but mm-hmm. then of course you get movies like Birdemic and right. Starship Troopers yep. and most recently Time Chasers. <laughs> now, as I mention all those movies, do you start to think like, oh God, I hope I never have to watch it again? Because the follow-up question to that is how many times do you tend to watch these, whether it was for MST3K or Rift Tracks, in the writing process? How many times do you feel like you would watch one of these movies? Oh, I'd say when it's all said and down, done... Um well, Time Chasers is particular because we also did it for Mystery Science Theater right. 2000. Um, but I've probably seen that film all the way through about 25 times. <laughs> uh, and I don't think anyone in that film has seen it all the way through oh, well, 20 no. times. So we know all the beats. Yeah. And it, it just became very familiar. So that one was really relaxed and fun for us. And yeah. very, uh, we were really laid on our feet on the stage, and, and that was great fun to do. Um, I mean, the ones that hurt, Manos always hurts. I hope I never have to see another frame of that film again yeah, in my life. Yeah, because as fun as it is for for us to watch with you guys commenting, you know, to actually watch Manos and, you know, study Manos and Torgo and the theme and, yeah, just, I can't imagine you know, you uh, you sang the Felix the Cat song to my son a little earlier and that was already in your head. Do you have night terrors with Torgo's theme sometimes just <laughs> pulsating <laughs> through yeah <laughs> yeah somebody did one of those endless loops on right. um, on YouTube of the Torgo theme that's like 11 and a half hours oh, long oh no yeah so there's that if you there, ever want to torture somebody yeah uh, you yeah. know if, if I want my son to have nightmares I'll, I'll show him that but uh, yeah and it, it's just it's interesting to imagine how many times that you would have to watch it and the follow up question is so watching something like Time Chasers again mm-hmm. do you rewatch the original riff to make sure you don't hit the same notes or do you have somebody else do it after you guys write it just to make sure that you're not hitting the same jokes or we, we do want to do that and yet we don't I don't personally don't want to look at the old stuff right. just because it might have an influence on in what we're doing this time sure. so uh, we have two great full time staff writers Connor, Connor Lestoka and uh, Sean Thomason and they go back and do the dirty work of watching the uh, old versions e- sure. of our own as well as Mystery yeah, Science Theater. Yeah, because sometimes you do riff tracks either, at, yeah. like Plan 9 was on a DVD before you did the live version. Right, Yeah, right, so... Right. 
Uh, well, specifically what we're talking about, Rift Tracks Live's Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion show. That'll be in select theaters. Two nights, June 28th and again on July 12th. For more information, go to fathomevents.com or rifttracks.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the upcoming show, which we'll get into the specific specifics a little later, mm-hmm. it's a collection of short films, which, right. as much as I love the feature presentations and whether it was on Mystery Science Theater or Riff Tracks, I always really... There's something about those shorts that you guys find. Uh, you know, it was the most recent one, but uh, just the fact that someone made something called Chimp the Fireman. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, just go ahead and Google Chimp the Fireman, and yep. it's there, and it's... Yeah. Well, it's it's upsetting, really, because you do, you wonder how many takes they had where they tried to get the chimp to smoke a cigar, you know. <laughs> so stuff like that. But you know, there's amazing ones you guys found. Like there was that at your fingertips uh, series with oh, grasses yeah. and cylinders. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the process of fi- of finding the films that are just right. Do you just buy like a truckload of them and hope that one or two of them are good? We've had a lot of great resources, uh, namely um, uh, Rick Pralinger, who uh, sold his library called Ephemeral Films, or actually I think gave it to uh, the National Archives and it's on archive.org, his entire library oh, wow. of short films. And we drew, he's a curator and he's really, along with Skip Elsheimer, who's another guy who runs AV Geeks, uh, these guys curate these films and they find them and they collect them and they try to find the best print of them and uh, and I'm glad that they are okay with what we do, Yeah, because you know this is like their passion and their love, and they find some really interesting, truly unique stuff, and we've tapped those things as resources for years, and uh, <clears throat> actually we've gotten to the point where we're almost done with this whole oh, collection wow. <laughs> of thousands of films of what we can do. Uh, but new ones keep coming into that, and also what we do is we go to eBay, and we buy collections that were... Uh, you know, like lot sales from high school AV clubs and college oh, okay, AV sure. clubs. So we get a lot of educational and training films that way in 16 millimeters. So we actually get to crank out. I have this beautiful old Telex uh, military issue 16 millimeter projector in my house. Oh, wow. And so that's really fun to do because I also have a few uh, Laurel and Hardy films that I love to project. For some reason, Laurel There's and Hardy's about, better projected. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. could imagine just how great it would be to, you know, if we yeah. could put it on that door right now. Exactly. Um, now, do you have a favorite or a favorite couple short films, whether it goes all the way back to MST or now, that just come to mind? Uh-huh. Or well, do you the, have to divorce yourselves from any affection for these films? <laughs> <laughs> no, the shorts are actually easy. I can watch them because yeah. they're just concentrated. They're really a great introduction to what we do. Right. Um, and this, uh, these ACI educational films are some of the trippiest. And I swear what happened is a bunch of people graduated from Cal Davis back in about 1968 uh, with degrees in education and decided, yeah, man, let's, we can make <laughs> educational films and show them to the kids and it'd be great. So what do we want to make these films about? <coughs> oh, I know. We'll make films about making art out of boxes. <laughs> yeah. And, and it has that feeling. They're just so trippy they really are with the music and just some of the the camera shots and and the, you know that that weird 70s effect when for whatever reason cameras didn't you know avoid the sun they just have like the <laughs> yeah that must be what gave jj J. abrams the solar flares yes, seeing indeed. some of these films and it's so. just you know just something about them yeah, yeah i know it's almost like you could you could re-edit them and put like really creepy music under it and, yeah. you know make it seem like you know <laughs> what are the children up to with you know, these we thought boxes? about that as a matter of uh, fact there is somebody who did that with uh tom waits what's he doing there <laughs> uh took some old short films and, and yeah. created a, a, a mix-up of that uh, talking about the the short films and the children, and I just sort of thinking about something is you know it'd be 
it wouldn't be that hard to sort of do a short like that and you know really kind of make fun of some of these kids and the way they look but of course they're just children there is something you know look it's not it's not like aw shucks comedy but there is something about going all the way back to Mr. Science Theater through Rift Tracks it's not that mean spirited I mean you know there's an occasional shot at a public figure or something but is that a conscious effort you know and is there a lot of like ooh that's that's a little too mean it's definitely a conscious effort I mean we've been we've found us having to rein ourselves in sometimes because we'll just lay into a particularly bad performance right but uh, we try mainly to just um, have fun with the performance, not the person. Right. Unless, like in Time Chasers, that person has an unusually <laughs> large, long, pointy chin. Yes. Which is just like truly the elephant in the room. If you don't say something about it, something. people will notice. Yeah. It's conspicuous <laughs> by its absence if you don't say yeah. something there. But, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. And, and I, that seemed, it, it was just something I was thinking about as you talked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what can you tell us about the shorts that'll be featured in the uh, special, which, I, of course, is mm-hmm. Mystery Science Theater 3000 Reunion, The Rift Tracks Live? Uh, select theaters, two nights only, June 28th, and again on July 12th, uh, rifttracks.com. Can you tell us anything about them? I mean, I'm sure there's some secrets about keeping close to the vest, but what can you tell us about yeah, the films? I don't, I don't think we're going to tell what the titles are. Sure. But, uh, the great thing is, I mean, we've got, we've got pretty much the whole cast there, except for Josh Weinstein is not going to be there, but right. Trace Ballou, Frank Conniff, Mary Jo Keel, uh, Bridget Jones Nelson, uh, Joel, of course, the creator of, of the show, Mike, Bill, and I. And of course, uh, Jonah, who is the future host of yeah. the, the rebooted show, will and be there as well. Jonah Gray, who is a very sharp fellow, very funny fellow, and really a sweet guy, and I think they couldn't have picked a better new yeah. host for Mystery Science Yeah, I Theater. think in general, when they announced him, you know, obviously, anything on the internet, you'll find people that are like, that's a terrible idea, but for the most part, yeah. the majority of people were really excited you know about something that they were excited about and they're like oh now i'm more excited well when when i took over from tom servo i still have the poster that somebody printed out i was gonna ask you about this dot matrix print that says i hate tom servo's new voice yeah and it's not like the old tom servo voice had been around for you know 10 years there were what 13 shows with the old voice and uh but people were so attached to it and i I remember yeah because i asked you this once when uh, i guess i was a dennis miller show and i had Mm -hmm. you on and you you kept it you but you put it up in your office as soon as you got it. I did. So, uh, I guess really you just have to be ready for stuff like that, you know. In general, people don't embrace change. Right, that's is what, true. Is, if there was ever a better lesson, that's like, true. So the gumball machine robot sounds a little bit different. You didn't sound that different. No, you know? it no. sounded a little different. Uh, but that was enough to make you. And, yeah. and to think, like you said, it was a dot matrix printout. Right. It was like twenty, thirty minutes just to print it out. It took a long time. Yeah. Well, so the live show is going to have components of all the different eras of Mystery Science Theater, which is right. kind of great. So um, Trace and uh, Frank are going to do a short together and they've actually been doing uh, shorts on the road or movies on the road themselves Uh, Mary Jo uh, Peel and uh, Bridget Jones Nelson are going to do a short together Uh, Joel and Jonah are going to do a short together Mike Bell and I are going to do some and then at the end we're going to gather together and have all nine of us on the stage riffing at the same time yes i believe the press release called it a super riffapalooza yes it sounds so. like it sounds like a good name yes it does yes, it's branding branding <laughs> yeah, branding's ex- good yes. <laughs> trademark pending <laughs> possibly right. yes. so that'll be great though I, yeah. and i like the idea that uh, you know it'll be it'll mix and match but then also to kind of have everybody there together yeah. um to sort of backtrack on the shorts again for a moment this mm-hmm. is a little bit of a of a niche conversation but it's for me Fine. um 
What the hell was Norman? The Norman shorts that you ran. What were we supposed to take away from those? Were we supposed to learn something? Were we supposed to laugh? Or were we just supposed to hate Norman? I think it drove Mike mad trying to figure out who the hell the audience was yeah. for this. Who did they show? Were they shorts that they'd show before movies? Because this was, uh, they were done in the early, in the mid-70s. And they didn't show shorts before movies, at least in this country. Well, yeah. they're made in Canada, which might explain a lot right there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because so many Canadians just feel like they are Norman going through life. Yeah. You know, you you step in the step in the toilet bowl. You you know fall over and knock the shower curtain off. Every morning you feel like Norman. There was so much toilet based humor in in those. I mean, not you know like raunchy. I mean, actually the- Norman <laughs> having trouble with toilets. Yeah, uh, in three of the four films, he he has a, a problem with the toilet. So <laughs> it's very sad. Yeah, um, but Norman was Canadian. He's yes. a Canadian character actor. Um, I think these were he. They thought of this as sort of a Charlie Chaplin thing because he never says a word. Oh yeah, very, you know shorts. what? Very Mr. Bean of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. And then it's we we looked him up after we'd done a couple of these, and it turns out he's like this beloved fellow in um, in Canada. This you know the sort actor. Of regional actor, okay. but but everybody loved him, and he had died within the time that we started oh, doing these no. things. And, yeah, I, I felt a little bad. But you so know much. what? It's, it's kind of fitting that yeah. you know you look. You want to look into it. Maybe you you know you try and have him on or something. And and of course, right. in true Norman fashion, he wasn't there anymore. <laughs> right. uh, so you know, a lot of bad movies are, are so terrible. Yeah. Uh, but you understand how someone decided to make a movie, and you're like, oh, all right, yeah. it just went badly. Uh, others, you know, sometimes it's just what an advertisement for a theme park or something. Right. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. <laughs> Um, and you know, of course, we all know the ice cream bunny. We grow up of as course. kids. We hear stories about the ice cream bunny. The you know, beloved character. My, my son Felix is very excited for the ice cream bunny to come yes. visit this summer. We don't know what holiday he actually represents. No, but he's there yeah, when he's supposed he, to be. He's certainly not the Easter bunny. No, 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 no he's no, the no. ice cream bunny. Right. Now, when a weird movie like that, you find out. You know, you go to do it for Rift Tracks. Yeah. You well you, to do it as a Rift Tracks live. You find that there's another print with a different fairy tale in the middle. Middle. Are you excited or are you Absolutely. horrified? Okay, I. Figured no, you would absolutely. be excited because there's something different. Because what the original one was Thumbelina, and then this yeah. one was uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. Jack and the yeah, Beanstalk. Okay. Yes. So, yes. so you just oh, it's like you get to take a, a big old bite out of a out of a bad movie again. It's, it's like this donut that keeps refilling. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a brand new center to the whole thing, and that's what made it uh, a really fun thing for us to do for a live show because we had issued it as a regular studio release of Rift right. Tracks. Uh, and then this print showed up, and we thought, "Oh, this is perfect!" So people get a whole the middle third of the film is yeah. all brand new. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I I have forty pages of questions, but I want to turn to the chat roll and ask you some questions. Let's from, go to the chat from roll. Some of the some of the the fans here, uh, Jason. Uh, I told you this one beforehand. Uh, he asks if you can expect any Neil Breen films on Rift Tracks. And I wasn't familiar with Neil Breen, but wow. uh, tell us yeah. who he is and uh, what it would mean to you to get the chance to, to feature him on Rift Tracks. Well, I think you got to look up Neil Breen because he is as spectacularly bad a filmmaker as Tommy Wiseau is. Um, and I think he might be worse in some ways. Um, and I think he funds all <laughs> Which these... Which is really saying something, to be yeah. worse than Tommy. Yeah. He funds all these films himself, and he is the director... Uh, the writer, the uh, lead actor, um, producer, he does it all, and, and he doesn't do any of it well. 
but he does it with passion and gusto. And he's he's sort of a scary guy to look at too. So oh, that wow. doesn't that doesn't help things out at all. And and he seems to have an obsession with laptops. You will see a laptop in every scene of every. And there's there's one scene in one film where I think there are actually six laptops for some reason. None of them work. They're just <laughs> in the shot. Um, and he does. He's sort of like. Uh, He's like a he's like a uh, a warrior for the right cause sort of guy. Except he also uh, he has friends who who are on drugs and he's trying to help them. And then but then there's you know there's a lot of sex involved and uh, and bizarre violence and uh, and I think <clears throat> they were a little too weird for some of our riff tracks compadres. Uh, but I really wanted us to do one. But I think uh, it's maybe just, it's a, maybe we'll will maybe future. you'll you'll get to it. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it sounds weird, which you know it has. It definitely piqued my interest. Let me put it this way: if something is too weird for us, it is really weird. You <laughs> yeah, should check it out on your own and see. Well, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, oh boy, this isn't someone's real name. It's <laughs> Dalek Firebeard. <laughs> really, Hello, Dalek, Dalek. Fi- really Dalek Firebeard. Your parents. I'm, I should read it as a Dalek, but I won't do that to any of us. Uh, what well-liked movies have you really wanted to give the Rift Tracks treatment, but chose not to due to possible backlash? Uh, you know, I don't think that's really come up. Um, I mean, there are some films... Well, you just, just said you did Casablanca, yeah, yeah. so if you're going to do that... Yeah. yeah, we did Jaws. We did the first uh, Lord of the Rings films. Um, and uh, so that really... That, that, not really an issue for us, but we keep finding uh, better versions of bad, which yeah. are more really... Uh, ultimately, I think it's what folks want, and it's more of what we're really good at. So they, they, it's amazing they keep crawling in over the transom. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. This is Roblem VR asks: Do you think people make too much about the puppets, or are you glad to know that they'll be coming back as part of the reboot? Well, I think it's you know great that uh, people love the puppets. They're great characters, and uh, and when we started doing riff tracks, we knew that that part would not be something that we right. want to. We wouldn't even want to incorporate it because that show is that show, and we were doing something different. So we had to go at, about it at a different angle because puppets can get away with murder. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, truly, literally, get away with murder, <laughs> whereas people can't. They can kill each other. They can kill. Yeah, themselves. I believe Kukla killed both Fran and Ollie, <laughs> although I'm not sure. So we'd have to look it up at one time or yeah. another. So yeah, I think it's great that Crow and Silver are going to be returning because they were great characters, and and when people compliment me on what I did there. I mean, he was a pretty easy puppet to work. He had a beak. Yeah, and, and, and the whole point turn. was that his uh, his arms didn't move. Like right. they always talked about how his arms didn't do anything. Yes, yes. So you were basically encouraged, like yeah. you know, as 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 little as you want to move him, the better. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a couple people that are hoping for more rift tones, maybe at the reunion. Are we well, expecting nice. more from the rift tones? And uh, I guess explain what those are for people who don't know although i guess it implies singing riff tracks members they I are just sing, that's exactly yeah. what it is the singing yeah. riff tracks members and uh and we're not really a band i'm the one who has the uh um uh the the software to do this uh mike plays a great piano bill plays guitar and he writes great songs and we've done songs that have been inspired by a lot of the films we've done i think one of the most probably the most popular one is one that bill wrote called uh, about uh uh the whole romance in um, Twilight. Oh yes, and it's called Sparkly Vampires, <laughs> and it's it's sort of a it has sort of a sweet Everly Brothers ballad yeah. feel to it. And a lot of those will play during the pre-show when you go right. to the Fathom Events yeah. uh, showings. Yeah. So, uh, and there are a few new ones in, within the last year, but we mm-hmm. don't have anything ex- you know um, brand new for this show. But. So the Rift Tones World Tour is probably <laughs> a little ways off at this point. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, Christina wants to know uh, what movie have you wanted to riff live but unable to besides Twilight. Oh wow! Is, 
Yeah. Well, and I guess yeah. uh, Twilight was sort of why you guys originally started doing a Kickstarter a few years ago. It was is. the hopes to get the rights to Twilight. And I guess you got enough, but then yeah. whatever yeah. studio that is was, you know, really, they treasure such a, a fine film. You know, they're just like, no, 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 we can't ridicule something. I think they essentially said, we're not done making the money we want to make off of it for anybody else to make their money off of it. I think they're just guarding their brand very that, carefully. I do understand that because yeah. there will come a time when they're not really making any money. So, yeah. you know, I yeah. guess it's. But anyway, sorry. So back to Christina's question. Well, there, something other than Twilight that immediately comes to mind that, that would be fun. There are some certain gems that we've done in the past. Of course, I would love to go for us to go back and do um, since we're ten years on now with Rift Tracks, uh, go back and do the very first Rift Tracks that Mike ever did. He actually did it solo, and that was Roadhouse. Oh, Roadhouse! Yeah, wow, yeah. yeah, it's almost the perfect uh, film for for riffing because of, of just the story arc, the the performances in the thing, Ben Gazzara. Yeah, so and it does great. remind me of what was definitely my favorite song from Mystery Science Theater, which was the Patrick Swayze Christmas. Yes. So, uh, yeah, there's just something about something about Roadhouse, you know, it's we can't see it enough, so for you guys to actually get the chance to do it, well, yeah. you know, would be an, another time to, to get to see it. Um, by my estimation, probably the question that you get asked the most is some of the negative reactions you get from people. I, I think uh, Mitchell star Joe Don Baker is pretty well documented. Um, are yeah. there any that you're surprised when people are really they really embrace it and they're really cool about it uh, when you think that maybe you know maybe they wouldn't be? Well, um, recently when we did uh, just uh, um, in May we did uh, this the riff of Time Chasers right live, sure and the whole cast showed up. Uh, including the director of the film, right. who was, you know, God bless him, he was only, what, 19 years old when he made the film in the yeah. first place. Uh, and including, the you know, the fellow whose chin we made fun of, and the woman we made fun of because she had a, a kind of odd gummy smile and she didn't really <laughs> act very well. True. And, uh, uh, and they were all really nice, and they were actually very excited, and I think part of it was they made this film in a lark, and, and none of them are really full-time professional actors, so sure. they wouldn't still be living in Rutland, Vermont. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they came to uh, the theater, the Polk Theater in Nashville, where we were doing it, and they were just sort of, I think, starstruck, because they never expected this film to play in a theater like this before a crowd like that. Yeah. And more people in one night saw that film than had ever seen it in the theater in its entire history. So I think that meant something to them. Yeah, so like the fact that you're, you know, making fun of it, it it doesn't really matter because they probably through the, what, 25 years since they made it, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that is pretty funny. It's kind of silly. So they got to meet all of the... you know, a lot of folks they actually signed autographs and posed for pictures oh, afterwards. Great. So they got a little bit of a feeling of that, and people were just great to them. When too. I saw Birdemic, the Rift Tracks Live Birdemic, uh, at, here in downtown LA, uh, there were several cast members that uh, were in the audience, which I don't think we realized at first. <laughs> but then, like afterwards, people started talking to them. You could tell that they were really excited. It's it's right. probably that exact same thing. Yeah. A movie that you didn't think would be shown on any movie theater, yeah. much less the huge screen like right next to the Staples Center. So right, I can right. see how people get excited about it um as you go through and look at movies and try to evaluate which ones to do and which ones to not what are the qualities that you think make for a good riff versus a bad one you know a movie that you know might be a good movie or a bad movie but just not right for it what what's the difference i guess ultimately i think the thing that we that really sort of shines through is a sense of earnestness in the on and the filmmaker, I mean, the guy, the person who did it, really wanted to make a good film. Right. And just, they just couldn't. They just were unable to. They put everything they could into the thing. Those are usually the ones that they, they sort of stand out. And, uh, 
And I mean, there are some, you know, bad filmmakers who are don't seem like really good people. Yeah. But then there's people like James Wen, who seems like a really nice guy. He does, dear God, I don't know, you know, why he thought that this put together <laughs> would actually constitute a narrative film structure, but it he did it, and he was so proud of it. And I mean, for some of these guys, these filmmakers, the fact that they made the film is the biggest accomplishment. Yeah, no, very true. And, and that, so that's all. So you know, the rest, whether it, it's good or not, is sort of secondary, and that shines through. And those are the things that we pick up on. It's just this characteristic ineptness that. I mean, even a casual moviegoer will go in and they'll realize when a really bad edit has happened or when a jump in time has happened or a double cut has happened or yeah. something like that. They realize it maybe in the back of their mind. They don't know what to call it. So quite often we will call attention to those things in a yeah. subtle way and people, you know, your head snaps in and says, you're right. Why the hell did they do that? Yeah, no, exactly. And it's funny because you tend to see that sort of, you know, lapses in filmmaking in terms of editing and things like that. Mm-hmm. You tend to really see that in older movies or, and by older, I mean even, you know, from 20 years ago. Yeah. And you don't see it in modern movies Unless you go and see one of the Transformers movies where right. you're literally like, wait a minute, they were here and now they're there. You're like, they clearly took something out. You know, if it's like in the old days, you're like, did did they forget to put a reel in? And it's just, it's so strange because especially, I mean, obviously, if you shame on me for spending money to see the Transformers movie. <laughs> I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, I just thought that, you know, it would be bad, but, you know, makes sense. But again, shame on me. It's always killed me that Michael Bay's uh, slogan is shoot for the edit. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what the hell he means I, like that. I don't know what by he that. Means I don't because he doesn't. Yeah, no, he definitely no. doesn't. The last good film he made was the Aaron Burr commercial for milk. I didn't realize he made. I love yes. that commercial. It's a great commercial. I I have seen the actor uh, who was the guy you know who needed the milk, the guy yeah. with the peanut butter in his mouth, and he's yeah. turned up on a few things. Yeah. But I just remember being so excited. I'm like Aaron Burr, not right? to him, <laughs> but to the person. That's the Aaron Burr. And they're like, what? And I'm like, mm, and I'm like, I can't do it louder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what a great commercial, though, that it's it's true. that it, it And that was, that was at least 20, 25 years ago. And, That's Michael and Bay's best film. Yeah, he should have stopped. <laughs> he should have stopped right well, there. I'm surprised he didn't make five sequels. But, you know, <laughs> at, at, at some point, maybe he will. Um, so let me get to the uh, the page that has the, the plug on it, right? Because I, cool. I, almost, I almost did it off the top of my head and I would have left something out. Yeah. So uh, we're talking to Kevin Murphy about Rift Tracks Live's Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion. And that'll be in select theaters for two nights, June 28th and July 12th. More information, fathomevents.com and rifttracks.com. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, Mystery Science Theater, and I know how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, you noted I, I was wearing the colors. I, I, yes. have, I found one that has Tom and Crow on it, and uh, I made sure to uh, wear it. And um, sort of embarrassingly, um, I brought, and I don't know which camera I should show this to, but this is my MS3 3000 uh, Info Club uh, pack wow. that uh, has a postmark of November 12th, 1991. Wow. Very excited that I uh, found this. And obviously, my wife will see this and be like, why do you hold on to stuff like that? That's and I'm like, for this reason, so that I can meet the person and be like, yes, I was very excited. And obviously wow. I stuffed this envelope. I could have put it in two envelopes, but this is the one I got. So point is, I was a big fan of the show. Yeah. And um, talk a little bit of how you first got involved in it, because, you know, when you started doing Tom Servo's voice in season two, that wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, the beginning of your involvement with yeah. the show. You'd been with it uh, before that. I have the dubious distinction of being involved with every single episode of the show from the very first one we did at ktma in minneapolis to when we did the last one and then pulled down the sets and chopped them up and sold chunks of them on ebay so uh i was working with uh pardon me with jim mallon at ktma which was the uh 
bottom-rated uh, UHF station in Minneapolis. Right. Um, we had this chance to, Jim uh, called me from, I was working in Madison at the time, and I said, come on up here, we'll be able to do whatever we want, because we've got a studio full of gear, and we can go out and do our own comedy if we want to. So we started doing, we did news parodies. Um, and uh, and we did a New Year's Eve special where we dropped a melon off the roof of the uh, <laughs> of the station, and uh, and we were looking for fun things for the local comedy community to do because at that time it was a great local comedy community. This is where Joel Hodgson came from. Sure. Um, and Joel was recently back from uh, from L.A. Yeah, because he had been on Letterman, he'd been on SNL when they right. used to have comedians on, yeah. and and then but then he went back to Minneapolis. Went back to Minneapolis, yeah. and uh, and we were looking for stuff to do, programs to actually produce, and uh, Joel had a few ideas, and one of them was uh, the general idea was sort of like a hosted movie. Um, like a lot of local stations have. With yeah, all. they have like some old vampire right. show movies. Yeah. There's always variations of that, yeah. sure. But what if the host actually goes into the movie theater and yeah. watches the film along with the people at home? And I think that was one of the particular things that Joel brought to it, along with the fact that it was a uh, not a vampire or some ghoul or anything. It right. was a guy who'd been shot into space and was forced <laughs> to watch these things uh, to keep his sanity and that he'd built these robots out of parts of the ship. Right. Um, <clears throat> it sounded great. And I was the cameraman uh, for the uh, station and the lighting and art director for everything. And so uh, um, I helped Joel build the, the sets and uh, did the camera work for it at very first. And uh, and it was such a ramshackle thing at first. I think Trace would get like 25 bucks a week, Trace and Josh, 25 bucks a week for doing the show. Wow. Um, and we had they'd, they'd come in in the morning of the show day and write the sketches and then shoot the sketches, take lunch, come back, sit down in about three feet from the wall is the way we had it at that time when we had the little silhouette. And they would watch the film usually for the first time. So in the very first season of KTMA, all of those performances by Joel, Josh, and Trace were ad-libbed. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't and, even realize that. Yeah. yeah. So, And then we had to be done at 5 o'clock because we had to turn the cameras around to shoot the, the local wrestling show Saturday night at ringside. <laughs> so it was slapdash. Yeah. And uh, through Joel's um, influence and uh, his agent and his contacts at HBO... Uh, we got a shot at you know there were two new comedy channels starting right ha and the comedy channel and the comedy which channel. is the one where you guys ended up yeah. and they needed forty eight hours a day of programming and they didn't want it all to be reruns of bad sitcoms like CPO Sharky man Comedy uh, Central showed so much CPO Sharky yes, at one point that's all they had yeah. I think yeah um, so we came along and we've got a two hour block of programming for them and it's costing a nickel because yeah. we're doing it in Minneapolis. And uh, so it, you know, we we went on the air, and it, you know, went through a lot of course corrections during the first season, and they started getting the phone calls, and they started getting the interest, and the, and suddenly on the, uh, the Usenet news groups, there starts to be a hubbub about the show, and a news group shows up for Mystery Science Theater. Uh, it was, what is it? Uh, Roger Ebert pointed out it's one of the first he'd ever heard of, right? Of a news group, and he said, "So wow, we're not only getting this buzz." from people calling in about the show, they're actually using this newfangled internet to talk to each other about the show. And I think that was something pretty cool. So then we got this contract and we moved to a warehouse in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and set up a studio. Um, It was six weeks from the time we moved into the studio to when we produced our first show. And it was nothing but us, um, our our art director and uh, his assistant, 
and uh, and then the cast, the writers. We had writers out there building sets, which is a bad idea. But. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of comedy writers and drama writers, and I, I don't think I want them building anything. It's a bad idea. We could have <laughs> lost somebody along the way, but then six <laughs> six weeks later, we were doing the show. And uh, and yeah, so then it, it ends up on Comedy Channel, which then becomes Comedy Central, right? And uh, that was, I guess six seasons before the movie happened right and talk a little bit about doing the movie which obviously the idea seemed to be very exciting because it was sort of a bigger budget you know yeah. the silent earth yeah. that was a big movie to do yeah. so um what do you think about that experience as opposed to having done it for tv before and after uh was it was it was it fun at all basically because oh, yeah well the most fun part of it truly the the one part that was that was fun beyond all fun was when we shot it, during the weeks that we shot the thing. When we were on set, um, it was great. It was really spectacular to do. It was, we had so much fun. Um, but everything else was simply uh, sort of like uh, probably spending about uh, six and a half weeks in a dentist chair. Um, it's hard to work with a major studio, especially with something like we had. We had a tiny budget. It was two million bucks. Right. And a good chunk of that was uh, in order to pay the license for the film, which we had licensed from Universal, so already they're they're taking back their own money. Yeah, <laughs> they're sucking off their own cheat, as they say. <laughs> um, and it was, and you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would not have done this with a major studio. I would have, if there was a thing like Kickstarter. Oh then, yeah, to have had something like that. Oh or, man, the or difference you, would have you know, been phenomenal. I mean, at this point, you know, sure, yeah. it still would have been for streaming, or whatever. But if there had been like an option, like doing a film for Netflix right. or something yeah. like that, yeah. that yeah, I can see. Yeah. So they stuck their fingers in everywhere, and then eventually, when it finally came out, it was in, I believe, thirty-five theaters nationwide. Yeah, I, I remember taking I remember taking a train into New York City so that I could actually see it in a theater. Uh, but uh, yeah, there were not many of them. No. And I was talking about this shirt. This was part of the very small push of, of merch, you know, that went with it. It was this shirt and one other one. And, wow. and I don't see them very often, no. even even at Comic Con or the uh, Rift Tracks Live. No. So uh, you know, sort of after that, the show ends up you know getting canceled by Comedy Central, right. but then sort of re- resuscitated. I don't want to say revived. Yeah. They put the paddles back on for right. sci-fi channel yes. uh, talk a little bit about how the show changed um i, I mean there were so, there were some noticeable differences i guess that it was mostly sci-fi films at that point right well sci-fi channel had those and they right. wanted us to do those and uh and we pushed against it a little bit and eventually they did relent yeah because uh, hamlet wasn't really a, a sci-fi <laughs> film yeah. the girl in gold boots was another That's one that we did true, yeah. definitely not sci-fi it was a different environment and they actually tried to get us to do a story arc which was we wanted to say look you're going to show the first three episodes and then show the first one again and then they're going to show four more then you're going to show the second three and these will never play in, in order in order yeah so a story arc was ridiculous but we did it anyway and we sort of monkeyed with the whole convention of having a story I arc. mean interesting choice in terminology monkeying <laughs> with it considering that uh, you got to play a new character Professor Bobo yeah and uh, yeah. I know that it's not like Jennifer Lawrence putting on her makeup for X-Men but no. uh, what was the the monkey process like for you or should I say chimp I think that that's that's sort of you know speciesist if I call them all monkeys yeah I think it was a chimp as a matter of fact yeah um, yeah it was it started out it was a mask that gave me a migraine so they had to fix it oh uh, boy yeah and uh and it was just glued appliances and and uh, <laughs> you know crepe hair and uh 
and sort of awful to wear all day long, but it was, uh, and it was great fun. And that was the, and the transition was Trace uh, left the show and Bill Corbett came on. Right. And he was terrific. He took over a you know, very popular character and made it his own yeah. and got people to like it, which was And terrific. also didn't sound that different from Trace. I know the voices aren't the same, but it's yeah. like, you know, he is able to, he was able to sound similar enough where it was. I don't know if yeah. anybody mailed him I hate Crow's new voice uh, sign, but uh, <laughs> at that point they could have posted it on the internet, yeah, probably. it's true. It's true. Um, but that's actually one of the things that I noticed because the show was a little bit different at that point. This yeah. was right when the the current art form that people excel at it was in its sort of infancy, which is taking to the internet to criticize the shows you love and talk right. about why changing them. Right. And I remember you know just sort of reading. I don't know why I would even read it. And it's just like, what are they so upset about? This isn't like you know finding out that the guy who created Felicity is directing a Star Wars film or right. you know an angry old Scottish guy is Doctor Who now. This is like okay, so there's different voices for the robots and. Well, well, just for one of them and you know now there's there's a story about a chimp but it's like you know that part in the middle where they watch the bad movies that's exactly the same that hasn't changed and, yeah. and, and it, I, I don't know I mean were you guys aware that people felt so strongly about like you had to change the show and then how dare you change the show or were well, you yeah, able you're right. to at that time it was it was a point where common sections were just in their furtive monstrous birth and uh, and we I decided myself that I was not going to go there. I wasn't right. going to go to any forums, to any comment sections. I really didn't think that that was healthy to do. Very smart. Most <clears throat> people can't resist. I, I've I've worked with some who yeah. want to not look, but they yeah. always end up looking in the end. Yeah. It's challenging, and it's not where we belong because that's for the fans. That's for the people who actually are care enough to have arguments over these things, and that's fine. I let them do that. We're not uh, quote unquote ruining anybody's childhood here, right? Because <laughs> the thing is, all those things we did in the past still exist. Through the magic of videotape they're still there you can go back yeah. and get those things and they're still there things change and and the show changed and it's continuing to change and uh you know since it's coming back and obviously people are excited about that and they seem to be able to get over the fact that the cast has changed and that's great yeah i think it being gone for so long people are just like oh you know what i'm i'm just glad that uh, it's back yeah. um we only have another couple minutes, but okay. would you have any advice for Baron Vaughn, who's going to be doing the voice of Tom Servo, if he gets a, an, an email or a tweet that says, I hate Tom Servo's new voice? Own it, baby. Yeah. Just <laughs> own it. Get up there and do what you do, and people will love you for it. I wanted to get in a couple last uh, questions from people in the uh, chat role. Matt wants to know, would you ever be able to watch Roller Gator again? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Connor Lestoka, our writer, picked that one out, and I hate him for it. Um, but people like it. It's it is truly it, it it's it's right down there. It's Manos awful. Uh, Lynn wants to know: Is corn grass? You're going to have to ask Bill about that. <laughs> All right, so make sure you ask Bill. Yes. And by the way, uh, you know uh, Zach, who is uh, working in the booth for us, uh, said that he was going to try and do it. Uh, looking at my computer right now, I see that they actually have the outline of you know you can't see it in here, but uh, it's the silhouettes from Mystery Science Theater, oh, which is good great. job, Zach. Um, are you um, planning on doing whether for RiffTracks.com or for uh, you know RiffTracks Live? Ryan wants to know any more re-riffs of uh, previous MST3K episodes. 
Uh, we don't have any in the plans, but it's always possible because there are some really great bad films there. Yeah, there's there's some that we could see time and time again. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Kevin, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be here with me. And uh, one more time, make sure everybody knows, Rift Tracks Live's Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion will be in select theaters for two nights only on June 28th and again on July 12th. Uh, for more information, go to fathomevents.com or rifttracks.com. And you can follow Kevin on Twitter at KWMurphy. Like I do. Please do. Which is all the reason why, because I do. Um, And the only way that I can think to end this conversation, other than saying thank you to Kevin, the only other way I can end end the conversation is, it stinks. (laughs) Thanks again to Kevin Murphy of Rift Tracks, whose Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion show, rebroadcast, will be this Tuesday, July 12th. For more information, go to rifttracks.com. Now... We move over to actor, comedian, musician. Most importantly for our purposes here, Mets fan, Jim Brewer. So this song that we're listening to, we'll talk about your album in a little bit, but uh, since we can hear it, uh, we might as well say a little bit about uh, your album, Songs from the Garage, Jim Brewer, and the Loud and Rowdy's uh, debut EP. Or is it? It's an LP. EP, LP. I get so confused anymore. Whatever's longer. Yeah, that would be the LP. It's the long play. And uh, that's out May 27th. But uh, anybody listening, they should recognize that voice. Yeah. Brian Johnson. Yes. Which, that's awesome that you have him. uh, And that's just him talking. There's another song that he actually sings with me right. on the song. We're going to play that on the way out, so people have to uh, you know, keep listening and uh, listen for Brian there. But anyway, uh, so I wanted to start off talking about, uh, you know, it's funny because when you're a Mets fan, it's almost like you meet another Mets fan and it's like, oh, you too? Hey, man, what happened? So how did you become a Mets fan? You know, I think... I remember it was this, it was I was only four years old and we're talking uh, seventy three season. Okay, and so I, you know what I I I honestly think at first it was the announcers because I remember being little and I this is so stupid but I would hear the the Yankee theme song right <laughs> and the Mets theme song, and the Mets theme song was so much more cheerful the meet the Mets for a child yeah where the Yankees one was like yeah. <laughs> and had a little dark weird it spooked me out but the Mets but the bring Mets, your kitties meet the Mets bring your kitties and you're kitties. like I'm a kitty I can go we're watching home runs over the wall <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great <laughs> and then Bob Murphy Lindsey Nelson yes. Ralph Kiner of course I I just was attracted to those to those voices, and then I fell in love with Rusty Staub, oh, Tom Seaver, yeah. Kuzman, Matt Lack. I used to I'm lefty, so I would imitate Matt Lack and Kuzman, Tug McGraw. Um, so that that is kind of Felix Mian, Wayne sure. Garrett. That I was only four years old, but it's, but I remember I remember that whole team, and I remember watching a play. I remember crying. When uh, at the time my favorite player Bud Harrelson was punched in the face oh, by, by Pete, Pete Rose, Rose. <laughs> I mean, how I'm, dare I'm, he? I'm yeah. five years old by that time. By the time that ha- I was traumatized, I never saw anyone get punched in the Especially face. Especially not one of your favorite Mets. No, you know? I see blood coming down. I'm like, what's going on? What and, and that's the real reason Pete Rose shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. That, that is, fight that has is nothing it. to do with the betting on baseball. Uh, for me, uh, I was ten when the Mets won the World Series in '86, so mm. it was it was very easy because growing up that was 
was the period when the Mets weren't just good, right. they started to be great, and the Yankees were terrible. They were bad. My older brother, he's five years older than me, he's a huge Yankees fan because the late 70s they were winning the World Series, and you know, I wasn't even you know sitting upright. Great so. teams, Chambliss, Roy yeah. White, Greg Nettles, I watched all that, and that was the horror Met years. <laughs> those were the... Yeah. That's, those are the Met fans that have the tattoo, like the 60s. Yeah. Um, we the '70s guys where I had to watch Willie Montanez and Bruce Beauclair <laughs> and Craig Swan, Zachary Flynn. That that was our team, um, and we suffered a lot. In '86, yeah. I remember Strawberry's first at bat because they started talking about him a year before. Yeah, no, there was a, there was all that ramp up, which I can't even imagine what that would have been like today. Do you remember what his first at bat? I don't remember. A lot of Mets fans don't this. I was I, it was against Mario Soto. Okay. Of the Cincinnati Reds. And they're like, this guy's a big home run hitter, blah, blah, blah. It's first at bat, three straight, whoo, strike one, whoo, strike two, whoo, strike two. didn't even touch the ball. Big, slinky, nine-foot-tall yeah. kid. Second at bat, whoo, strike one, whoo, strike two, whoo, strike three. Third at bat, um, whoo, strike one. Foul tip. Bing! There's a drive <laughs> in the upper deck! All the way! Uh, it is a foul uh, ball! <laughs> it was a foul ball by about a half a foot, oh but it God. went in the upper deck. And then, whoo, strike three. However, that one single foul ball yeah. made every Met fan go, that, this is what they're talking about. That had to be the most exciting foul ball. It was ball. the most exciting yeah. foul ball in Met history, if not baseball history. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. I See, I didn't even uh, realize that, uh, that that happened. Now, do you remember, was it at Shea? Was it Old Riverfront? Okay, yep, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can, you know, older Mets fans, now you don't have to be that old, but you can just visualize where it would have gone in, in Shea Stadium upper at that deck, point. Upper deck, baby. Yeah. You know how hard it is hit upper deck, <laughs> yes. right field? That was a monster shot. Yeah. Now, uh, so you've been a Mets fan all this time, but more recently, in the last, I don't know, last season or the last two seasons, last you started to, last season, season's yeah. when you started. From game one. Okay, so from the first, so opening day, in, Max Scherzer versus Bartoli Colon. I was at that game in DC. Scherzer had a yeah. no hitter going. I know, I remember like the seventh inning, and it was that like I can't believe I traveled to DC. My my buddy lives there. I'm like, we're gonna go to opening day, and I'm like, they have all these pictures. Why is it Bartolo Colon? I why do I have to why watch him? Bartolo Colon yeah. and a 400 pound <laughs> shirt hanging out, going yeah. toe to toe. With, with Max Scherzer. Scherzer, yeah, I mean, and it was such a great game. But uh, so then, did you just decide? Oh, I want to go on Facebook and do a video. Well, or? To be quite, I was already doing some videos. Okay, um, I was doing maybe, maybe two months before I started. I started February of that year. Oh, okay, and then uh, March, start, and then what happened was. The honest story was uh, my my wife was going through chemo at the time, and and that opening day. She, you know, she's getting hair and she's right. a mess, going through that whole thing. And she's sitting in the, she's watching me watch this game as if it was the seventh <laughs> game of the World Series. And I'm hopping around the living room. We're gonna be Max Scherzer, Mister. We spent two hundred million dollars. Yeah. And I turn around and with, with no energy, she has this smirk, almost like exerting a giggle. I said, "What are you laughing at?" 
she went this is what you should be making videos of you should make a video <laughs> the fa- stay a fan you have to just be right. a fan make that video the, the Met fans are going to love it they're going to and you have to do every game when every game yeah that's insane and now you've had to do it like you've been on stage when a game ends yes. and you've had to do it from there yes. and uh, you know so what are some of the weirder times where you were like okay I got to talk about the Met game I think that I think during the height of uh, the playoffs when I was on stage right. I would watch the show <laughs> I would come out like listen I'm going to be funny but I'm watching the game at the same time <laughs> so I'd be in the middle of a bit I'm like come on take them out take them out <laughs> sorry everyone what's going on right now um, and that that probably was uh, the. I'm sure this year will be so I want to come up with some creative stuff this year but you know it, it's got to stay organic, but I do feel I have to up the ante right. this well, year. Right. Uh, well, for our, our uh, viewers on YouTube, and also you'll be able to hear this if you're listening to it on iTunes, I just wanted to play some of what I thought was okay. one of the best ones, <laughs> which was after uh, Game 5 of the NLDS oh, that was here in LA. I was at that game, so I had to have a very subdued <laughs> celebration. I, I was with my friend. We're like... <laughs> All right, good game. And yes. then we like waited and we're like, okay, just, you know, don't make any eye contact. Walk down the hill, get in the car. And then we freaked out in the car. And then oh. I watched this when I got home and I was like, that's how I felt inside. Yes. But anyway, so I want people to take a look and listen. It was uh, so listen. tense. Yeah, it so was so t- tense. That whole game. Utley and yeah. everything else going on. Yes. Yeah, so. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Watching it. I know. Me. Guess what? You're chasing nothing. <laughs> nothing. Shame on you for Gary Cohen for oh, putting God. down Daniel Murphy. <laughs> Shame on you, Gary Cohen, for it's going on radio right No, of course. Gary Cohen. Yeah, but Daniel Murphy. MVP of the series. And Al this is before, we we can turn it down. This is before he went on to you know have his uh, championship Six, series seven, against the Cubs. Yeah, I picked this video for wow. the sheer energy, but uh, yeah. I also like the one you did after the NLCS. Where the you're champagne. Like, hey, where you're, where you're like, hey, Cub fans, sorry. <laughs> All right, Cub fans, you probably want to leave the room now. And then it was basically, I thought that was great because I, I said was, you have a great team. <laughs> yeah. you just need a picture or two. Please don't watch the rest of this video. <laughs> right. I, I warned I, them. Yeah, you I did. And them. if they still watch, that's their fault. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I still had a couple going, we're going to ban you from Chicago. <laughs> like, oh, stop it, dummy. Yeah, but no, so last season was great because, you know, it started, you know, I flew out to, you know, opening day, and I'm like, yeah, I just wanted a competitive season. Let's finish over 500. Right. Next year will be better. Right. And, you know, it just, it started, uh, you know, snowballing in the, the good sense where you're like, no, this team's actually pretty good, but it's not great. They can't score any damn runs. Right. And uh, despite the way that the season ended, I put a lot of credit on my now nine-month-old son, Felix, because he was born on Saturday, July 26th. So that's a couple days before oh. Wilmer's on the field crying, right before the uh, Cespedes trade. So he's there, you know, and literally, because, you know, you live in L.A., the games are on at 4 o'clock or 10 in the morning, which is even better. It's on, and it's like... He's now he immediately stares at the TV because I always had Met games on when he was born. You know, we'll figure that out later. You know, <laughs> he can talk to a psychiatrist about it. But it was just it was so exciting, and it was like, oh yeah, like you know, all you knew was this great season. So I uh, I hope it continues, and we'll talk more about my son in a little bit. But kind of talk about 
that moment in the season when it was like, oh, you know, well, maybe they're they're gonna you know ship off Wilmer Flores and get uh, Carlos Gomez, and you're like, all right, that'll. Be. And then when that doesn't happen and yeah. you get Cespedes instead, I mean. It's just like wait, we never make. I was mad we, about that trade. I was the Cespedes I or no the, uh, the Wilmer. I was at the game. Oh, you were. I was t- three feet in front of Wilmer, and I'll tell you why I remember that game. Uh, it was hot. Oh yeah, it looked like it. <laughs> it was about. It felt a hundred and five. And my oldest daughter, who really didn't want to go to the game, by the fourth thing she was, I feel good. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna pass out. I said, Drink more water. Yeah. I feel like I'm gonna pass out. So I take her to the nurses station. Right. To uh, the first aid. She's up to. While we're in there, they say Wilma. Wilm Flores has been traded. So you're in there and you actually hear them mention Yeah, I'm it. watching okay. them and they're saying they got Gomez. And I'm starting to see people going, yeah, we got our home. I went, this is the dumb, this is the bat. This is the big bat that's yeah. going to change. Gomez? No offense to Gomez, but you're getting rid of Wheeler? Yeah. For Gomez? I know, that was what was supposed to be included in the trade. Was that Wheeler? your minds? Yeah. I was really angry about that. And, I came, and we finally came back to see it about the seventh, uh, probably seventh inning, sixth inning, and Wilmer was coming up the bat. I still got pictures of him three feet in front of me, and the kids in front of me are going, "You got traded! You go, you go to Milwaukee. You got traded!" And he he looked back, and we we're all saying, "Shut up, man, yeah, dude! Right? Don't say that!" And they were saying it louder, like, "You got traded with Zach Wheeler. They got," and they're telling him, "Yeah, what the trade he, was." He was looking. Wow. He kept looking at them. And he really, you know, he's, he came up the bat, and we all we looked at each other like, "What should we? Should we? We should applaud." Yeah. And we stood up, and we started applauding, and he, you could see he was confused. And then when he grounded out, we all stood up and cheered for him, and you can see he was confused. So that happened. The other thing that happened that game, uh, Duda hit yeah. the only th- the Mets lost nine three. He hit three solo homers. I do remember that. Yeah. And his third at bat. <laughs> Uh, we were one of the only people left in the in the crowd, and he looked at my daughter, and he smiled, and he grabbed the ball, and he tossed it oh, to her. Oh, nice. And then he hit, I said, dude, hit another one. <laughs> hit another one. He hits another one, rounds the bases, and if you watch the replay, he points at my daughter. Oh, as that's to say, great. Hey, man, that was for you. So that was, Did she uh, feel better after that? Would she, she feel did. Like- she, was, <laughs> she was all lit up. Like, and I went, you, did you have any clue what just happened? Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a movie scene. But... Um, that mo- I f- I was never so relieved than to get in, in my car right. after the game and realize you know what this trade might not have gone through and I went that's the best thing in the world and yeah. then I was on the road and it was the trade deadline and literally I'm driving and I'm with my uh, opener I'm going it's quarter to four <laughs> and they've done nothing nothing you don't I remember that yeah. this is and then all of a sudden I heard them literally like three minutes before four p.m. they went up up. <laughs> I, I don't want to announce this to it's official, but a, some big here at the Mets. I went, oh my god, oh my! I I had to pull over right. into a rest stop because I couldn't I couldn't contain my energy. Like, what is going on? What is going on? And I wanted Gonzalez from um, from, from Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, yeah. And they go, yep, looks pretty official. Um, the Mets have traded three prospects, or whatever they said, yeah. for Ioannis Cespedes. I went, yes! <laughs> we got Cespedes! <laughs> and like, his contract, I don't care! <laughs> and 
I was there the first game he hit the homer. Oh, great. And he wasn't hitting homers yet. No. He wasn't really it, hitting. Yeah. And then that game, the, the, the parakeet was flying around. But what people, <laughs> I think what really lit him up was the ball was thrown up and tight at his head. Oh, okay. And that... if you watch right before the homer, he threw it at his head. Yeah. And backed him off. And he almost decked. And then he st- he looked at the pitcher, and the next <laughs> shot he hit about ten thousand feet yeah. over the center field wall. And I was like, "Wow, you just woke <laughs> up a giant, very yeah. angry giant." And that was such a crazy run that he went on for after oh. that. I don't have I don't have all the stats because I hate to get bogged down. But, but there's like seventeen home runs in like just a handful of games. I'm yeah. going to say the beginning of September. Yeah, I just knew they were going to the World Series. I knew it. You could see the yeah. excitement in the team. You saw their confidence. And when, I they, think when they swept the Nats... That's what I was going to say. Is when they swept the Nats, when the Nats couldn't be bothered to rearrange their pitching to match up their best pitchers, they're like, no, we got this. You know, Bryce Harper, you know, show me my ring. You know, the whole thing. Done. And, I mean, I think you look at them this year, the Nats, you think that they maybe learned something from that because... They uh, might have. Yeah. They look, uh, they, look, they look really good this year. They're on a mission. Yeah. But last year, it was such a mess. You know, that manager, like, I, I don't even think anybody listened to him. It was the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> it, was the Kardashians. it was definitely the Kardashians. <laughs> and, you know, Papelbon Kardashian bringing him in. Mess. That didn't help. That thing was such a mess. Storin, you know, just th- that bullpen was so bad. Mess. And it's like you have all this starting pitching, you know. And I mean, how many Met teams have I seen that with? But uh, it was just, you still felt like, all right, well, these are the Mets. I don't know, but once, like you said, yeah, once they and you know how great was it that Wilmer hit that home Wilmer run? Wilmer hits the homer, and you just you just knew. Yeah, I I turned to everyone. I said, "They're they're going to the series," yeah. and I did have a funny. I wasn't super confident when they were in the world. I was confident all the way up until game one, one out. Yeah. I went, we are winning the World Series. <laughs> Bink, there's a drive. <laughs> yeah. He's going back. It is a tie game. We, went, we may lose this series. We may lose this series, yeah. We may lose this series. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, if you're a good team, you should be able to beat anybody. But as the, it was getting closer, I'm like, man, I just hope they play Toronto. because you <laughs> Me know, too. Because it was just going to be a slugfest. They can't pitch. Right. But, you know, right. I, was, I was excited. You know, David Price in the play. So I was just like, this is going to be great. Maybe I'll go to Toronto and to New York. That's Cause, right. Because I went to two games in the World Series. I went to the two they lost at City Field, games four and five. But, and that's the thing that I think is like, you know what, I got to go to the World Series. I always kick myself because I, I had no money in 2000 when I went to the World Series. But I was like, I, I could have found it. I should have gone. And then I had 15 years to be like, why didn't I go to the World Series? So I figured out a way to do it. I flew out from L.A., I missed my son's first Halloween, but my wife was like, right, he's, he's a few Somebody's, months old. She's, she's not going to know. He can't even write. He doesn't even yeah. know what a color is. Don't she, worry about it. She's like, shake he's it not, off. He's not going to know. Don't worry about it. And, you know, you'll tell him you went to the World Series and, you know, be jealous. So I bought him a shirt. That's fine. So uh, <laughs> so I got to go. And that's my thing is, you know, people are like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. And look, I, I felt like they had most of those games they could have won they should have won maybe but I didn't feel afterwards where I was just like oh the season was a disaster and I think that's the huge difference between a Met fan and a Yankee fan you know who by the way had an awful like one wild card game in the playoffs last year and that was it but you know to have to for them it's always like World Series or nothing and I'm like I, I don't know I mean obviously you want to win World Series and you hope you do this year but it was like how much fun was that to get to the point and I went to the World Series and one of the games and we'll talk about the guys in the seven line a little later I 
sat in their section, which is insane because it's the most diehard of the diehard. So it was so much fun. I would have liked to have been at the one that they won, but you know what? That's not the way it happened. It was, I don't know. So what do you think as you think as you think back on the World Series now? Maybe not after that last game, but uh, now when you think about it. We, we the Royals... The Royals came to play. They really did. The Mets were still celebrating, and I think yeah. they—I think their eyes were really wide. Like, are we? We're really here. Yeah. I. They. They weren't ready for that. Right. Those and Royals were locked and loaded. They tasted the blood the year before because they got to Game Seven against the Giants. They got to and Game they were Seven. So close. Yeah. So close. They were on a mission, and they played. That they. They I mean, they amazing. they outplayed. Come on, the they Mets outplayed us in every way. In every way, in every way. The, just on the base pass, getting on base, you know, getting yeah, a run, getting the, just bunting over, timely double, hitting, as they walking, say. timely every, hitting, literally everything. They yeah. were phenomenal. I I have to say, I was kind of in awe watching them. I was right. aggravated to hear oh, they're a, they're a contact hitting team <laughs> and they're hard to walk. And I didn't get that until it would be like, oh, another 0-2 count. Foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. One and up, oh, ball one, one and two, foul ball, foul <laughs> yeah. ball. Two and two. Like, come on, just walk him. This guy <laughs> knocking seven foul balls. It was, they they earned that win. And But again, like you said, I was happy with their performance. Yeah. And we didn't expect to be there. No. And, um, but this year, I expect to be there. Yeah, I definitely expect to be there. And it's, it's crazy too because you know they go last year and they're definitely an afterthought for most people because I was watching you know the the Mets and Cubs did this uh, preseason game in Vegas and I was watching it but it's the Cubs yeah, sure. it's the Cub announcers feed and the Cubs announcers are talking about like this championship season that's about to start and they literally use those words and I'm like you know you're the Cubs right should you maybe not say that out loud but they're so confident and look they're a good team but, that, but going that, into that NLCS I thought they were a good team and I was yeah. like that I don't know what happened but that was not a good team on the field in the NLC. I think them against the Mets were the Mets against the Royals. Right. They, they still were like, we're we're really this far? <laughs> right. Where the Mets came to play and beat them. Yeah. And and but this year is gonna be a whole new what what the Cubs have, I think their key player that people may underestimate is Lackey. Lackey's yeah, that's a, a great observation. Big yeah, game winner. And yeah, this so, was his rookie year. He won Game Seven for the the Angels, I think. And yeah. you got Arietta, who the Mets beat. But right. listen, that you but beat apart, him. But apart from that, I think they won his like last nineteen or twenty starts. Or he's twenty one yeah. and one. Yeah, right. Exactly. Twenty one and one yeah. since last July, the one right. the Met lost. And and you have Lester, who's always going to bring it. Yeah. And now you have. Lackey and right. Lackey, so they match up very well against. It's true. The Mets. I mean, going into that series last year, it was just like, okay, yeah, Arietta, you—that's a tough game. You might not win that. And you might be able to beat Lester, but then you're like, all the other guys, you felt like, oh yeah. I, and you I, had yeah. what's his name in left field. Anytime you hit it to him, he <sighs> drop it, go through, and you're yeah. excited. It's, it's it not was, gonna happen again. Yeah, no, no, exactly. So we got to play. We we have major challenges. Yeah, the Nationals no. are a major and that's, challenge. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Is like the Nationals are 
you know, better than they were last year. And I, I don't know, I kind of was very dismissive when they hired Dusty Baker because, you know, he in the playoffs, you always remember, you know, Dusty in that same World Series with the Angels, you know, giving the game ball to Russ Ortiz in like the <laughs> sixth inning. He's like, yeah, you did this, but no, you didn't. Right, you know, right. and just, uh, you know, I mean, he would bring, he brought the Reds to the playoffs, I think, three straight years, and he still lost his job, you know. So right. there was definitely something about him. But... Because what they had, you know, in Washington was so bad, I think that it's really brought it together, and you just feel like these guys, these guys have actually come to play, and they're like, no, let's not take it for granted. However, when I look at this Mets team and the moves Sandy made, they're starting to really prevail. When you Cabrera, yeah, and and Walker together probably have more home runs than the entire shortstop, second base combo of all last year. Already. I, I think you're right, yeah. Cabrera is a big hitter. He's clutch. Walker's clutch. I was very impressed by Neil Walker. I mean, I you know, obviously I was fond of Daniel Murphy. I got to... We still know, are. Yeah, still are, but yeah. I was like, they're not going to keep him. And I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do there. You just... And couldn't be happier with what they replaced him with. You and know, man, it, I... We got the team. Yeah. We have <laughs> the team. I have my prediction... Well, which means absolutely nothing. I think when we go head to head, the Mets are going to step up and yeah. they're going to take the Nationals. I uh, I, I mean that's happening statement. relatively soon. That's in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, after this, uh, all, all these West Coast games. But uh, I don't. I think it's going to. Those are going to be great games because uh, I. I mean, they were last year from a Mets standpoint. From a Nat standpoint, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're up in the fifth inning, but you know, it was basically the same thing. You know, sure. you walk a guy, somebody gets a double, and then Cespedes hits a home run, and the game was over. Right. You know, so uh, we'll see if it, if it works that way. But uh, you know, to have the disappointment of not winning the World Series, but you're like, you know what, we're going to be good next year. But then the way this season started, you know, they were two and five to start, and you know, they had all those off days. You're like, what are they doing? You know, and. That was literally one week, and uh, I did actually write down one stat because I wanted to get it right. They were seventeen and nine after that, which is great, and they're like you know behind the Nationals, but barely. And it's like, yeah, you feel like they probably that first week of the season was almost an extra week of spring training, you know, even though the games counted. And after that, they really turned it on. I mean, just rolling the the uh, the Braves and the Reds and that game that they hit they they hit all those Giants. runs they got 12 runs against the Giants in an right. inning and you're just like you know Giants are a good team you didn't you didn't do that you know to the to the Rockies you know right. you got 12 runs off off San Francisco and I was like that's a pretty good feeling you know and I mean they were just on that run they had eight wins and then you face Madison Baumgartner, and you're like, all right, we're going to have to sit down for a little bit. <laughs> you know? exactly. It's like, you know, there's always going to be somebody that you run into. You know, maybe, maybe it'll be Kershaw next week. Although, actually, I think they miss him because I think he pitches on Sunday. Right. So, but anyway, you always have, you know, you always have to remember, you know, even even the teams that maybe aren't the best, well, they always have a couple of those guys that, uh, you know, can put the brakes on momentum. And losing a game to the Braves, you're like, well, how'd that happen? But at the same time, you're like, well, you did beat them five out of six. So, yeah, you know, it's a I, tough pitcher. Yeah, right, exactly. So, I don't know. I think it's it's good. If I had done the show when the season started, it might have been very entertaining Those first that first week. I was like, what are they doing? Why do they have all these off days? Yeah. Play the game. You know, I, I, this was me yelling at my TV. Sure. So, but now it's a, it's a much better feeling. And the fact that they're out here on the West Coast is, is great for me because uh, I actually get to see them. There because, you go. And 
tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that you do plan your uh, your stand up dates around when the Mets are going to be somewhere. Like you, I plan it around the. Uh, I I try to see where the seven line army is going. Right. So I like sitting with them. They're nuts. Yeah, and no, they're those exciting. Guys are nuts. Yeah, and uh, if we can bring up the picture of the Seven Line Army for people watching on YouTube just to see, that's it. That's the the bright orange section that I was in uh, uh, for Game Four of the World Series. Uh, yeah, I would. St- I think I stopped by during every playoff game and the World Series games, and then I went with them to Baltimore. So right, I'll be there in San Diego, and I got a couple others that I'll that I'll be hopping on. But. Yeah, so that's going to be great, and uh, that's uh, this Saturday. <laughs> the uh, and uh, if we could bring up the picture of my son Felix, who I talked about earlier, uh, there he is. He's two months old. That's after they wow. clinched in Cincinnati. Too much celebrating, you know. Yeah, he was just watching yeah. this champagne go everywhere. It was just, yeah. it was too much for him. But uh, so I'm going to bring him. This is going to be his first game in San Diego, it's and exciting. it's not just a game. It's a game with the seven line. There's going to be 1,500 of us at Petco Park, which I don't know if you've ever been there before, but no. it's 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 quiet. It's not a loud part. Well, it's going to be loud Saturday. (laughs) So that's going to be great. And uh, I think that's cool that you were like, well, I want to go with the seven line. And I I had read that. Yeah, stay a fan. Yeah. It's good to be, you know, I, I get bin TV or whatever you may think me of but at the end of the day I like staying a fan yeah. staying a fan of music baseball whatever I'm a fan I, I, I don't ever want that taken away right to to allude back to that uh, 2002 Angels World Series what you never want to look like is a John Travolta and Michael Eisner in the owner's box just embracing after they won and you're just like this is this is really uncomfortable why are we seeing this <laughs> yeah I want my shirt off <laughs> yeah right exactly I want to be twirling That's my what we shirt need. We need, yeah we need we need you trying to run onto the field, run and get the champagne, yeah. and run through the house like a maniac. That's what I. That's what I want. Yeah, right. Exactly. So uh, I don't know. I mean, in sitting with that seven line, I didn't even know that much about them until I forget what their first year was. I think it was 2012. I was at a game in they San Francisco. They might have been earlier than that. Yeah, but the first time I saw them, I think was 2012. They were at a game in San Francisco that my wife and I were at, and I'm like. Sure, a lot of Mets fans over there, and then you're just you're watching, and you're like, that one section is louder than the whole ballpark. And San Francisco is not San Diego; it's a little bit louder. There's some some energy there. They understand their team, and I was just like, these guys are crazy. So I'm uh, just excited that the they are taking another another West Coast swing, and uh, I just can't imagine the video and photos I'll have of my nine month old, you know, <laughs> surrounded by all these crazy Mets fans. So uh, so that should be great. Um, I want to talk to you about your uh, album in a second, but uh, just as you look back all these years that you're a Mets fan, who are some of your favorite Mets that you just like, that, you know, you don't even have to rank them, just when you think off the top of your head, my favorite Mets, just a few of them. A couple obscure ones. John Milner, John Stearns, Ed Cranepole. John Stearns, who I remember more as a as a base coach. Big yeah. double hitter. Right. Great catcher. Great do- um, uh, Seaver. Sure. Rusty Staub, yeah. Mookie Wilson, um, Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, Carter. Oh, of course, yeah. Mookie Wilson, Hubie Brooks, <laughs> Steve Henderson. Wow. Um, those were Bob Abadaka. Bob Abadaka. I definitely hear him reference just because you, you can't forget a name like that. And uh, what about uh, the fact that Piazza is finally getting in the Hall of Fame as a Met? 
That's huge. Yeah, because it was huge for the Mets. You just you always feel like you know Gary Carter went in as an expo, and you're just like, well, somebody's gonna you know Lasorda is gonna call somebody and say no, he has to he has to be a Dodger. I, I thought he'd be a Dodger, yeah. so I'm I'm excited that yeah. he he loves being a Met. Yeah, exactly. And, and he, he was a great Met. He was a great Met. Great yeah. Met. I yeah. loved watching Mike play. Yeah, I mean that was one of those. You know, obviously there's all the emotion to it, but uh, I was at that game against the Braves after 9/11 when he hit the home run, and yeah. you just never seen so many grown men. And like happily crying, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And not just that moment; he'd been so important before that. But uh, it was one of those things when he, you know, when he started to deteriorate a little bit. You're like, oh man, Mike, what are you doing? This is this. It was painful at the end, you know, when they had him like, oh, go play first base. And it was better when you know he was like on the Padres and he'd be in town, like you know, for one series. And you're like, yeah, there he is. All right, good. <laughs> and they'd play his walk up music and everything. So that's anyway. So that's exciting. I'm glad that uh, you know. I, that's not a trip I can make uh, Cooperstown for Piazza, but uh, very excited that he gets to uh, gets to make it because he's you know there's it's so hard to quantify you know players from the 90s. There's always allegations, but even guys that there's no proof, nothing. They're always like well, I don't know about him. He's a little too good, and it's I'm glad that finally for whatever reason you know that's gone by the wayside and Piazza's gonna get in and I mean he's the best hitting catcher ever you know if you look at his stats so uh, it's good you know we could we could use another Met there you go to Cooperstown the only Met up until now was Tom Seaver and he was great but he was the only one. So, yeah. 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 So anyway, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about your album. We heard that song at the beginning, and we'll hear another at the end. Uh, songs from the garage. Uh, now the uh, <laughs> you're sweating, Hammer. I am. You're I know. Sweating I like add- you're on trial. I- you're, you're sweating <laughs> like game five. <laughs> And we're, I, and we're winning in the ninth inning, and they so just it, and Harvey just walked a guy, and the it, next guy doubled. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a winning sweat. No, I know. <laughs> you I, got, I probably it's like someone just I slapped been, your forehead I with have a been wet cloth. To say like, hey, can we put the air on in here? But it's all right. It's all right because the people, only people on YouTube will know how much I'm sweating. People on iTunes have no idea except right. you told them. But that's all right. Beating all up in the in the lines <laughs> of your forehead. <laughs> I know. I, I, can I got a it. sweatshirt on. I know, and you're fine. Fine. That's true. You know. I, I guess I just get so excited when I talk you about that. You do. You But up. you're, you know, you're all right. You can, you can dial it down. You're a professional. <laughs> I'm just too much of a fan. Anyway, let's talk about uh, talk about your album. Yeah. Your band, the Loud and Rowdy. Yeah. Now, there's one long- song. Yeah. That. I tried to get done before the Mets playoffs last year, and I kind of wanted to be their anthem. And I started talking on my podcast, Jim Brewer, the Mets and more. And I started telling people, like, I want you to hear this song. I can't let I want you to hear a song so bad. It's called Who's Better Than Us. Oh, wow. That's that's one of my favorite songs on there. And I think I'm still going to do a Met montage. And then when the album comes out on May 27th, I'll release that video, oh, and then hopefully great. the Mets will pick it up. Who's better than us? That's Who's better than us? Right, it's exactly. a great, it's a great little anthem, and uh, it's a big stadium thing. It's kind of, it's a good song. It's a good oh, song. that's great! And so, and we talked about how you have Brian Johnson yeah. on two songs. Now, talk about how that came about and what He's, it was like that he said. I mean, first of all, he says yes. Uh, what does that mean to you? That you well, know. He came to me. He wow. said, "He said, uh, is it Jimmy Mason? I want to be on a record with you. Yeah, who's your making a record?" I said, uh, "I'm going to take you up on that." He said, "No, no, I'm being dead serious. I'm dead serious. I'm not being on a record." So, oh, okay. And I started writing a song. 
what would be best for us. It was meant to be a little funnier. Right. It was about two guys getting old and they're tired of being called they're old and at the end of the day they can tear it up better than anyone else. And so that's it was called Mr. Rock and Roll. You know, spend the kids tuition, we're gonna <laughs> clear the bank and we're gonna rip it up. I so like it. He he was ready to record it and he came to the studio. We had all these microphones set up for Brian Johnson, yeah. AC DC's going out on tour. And uh, he goes, all right, I'm ready when you are, my son. So I'm waiting on you to get in the studio. <laughs> he goes, no, no, I don't go in the studio. I stand in the boardroom with a handheld <laughs> mic, no headphones, that's cheating. And I like to sing listening to the speakers in front of the guys. Wow. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so that's that's how he record. That's when I realized what a legend, what a one of the great icons of our time in rock history this guy stands with a handheld yeah. microphone just raw in front of everyone else just what's it getting in the mountains for those about to rock tearing it up and that is probably the one moment where i stood there and went oh my god <laughs> brian johnson's singing on my album it just i it's it's all too surreal for me even still even yeah to think about it and the songs the song's a gorilla. It's a, I gotta cage it up. It's a monster. <laughs> when I let it out, it's gonna tear cities down. It's King Kong. This is a monster song, and I'm I'm excited for him, and I'm excited for the public to hear Brian Johnson's voice. Uh, not only hopefully with future ACDC stuff, sure. but whatever comes his way. If other if other people start using him for because his voice, he needs to be heard. His voice his is vo yeah. like one none other, and it, there's definitely a demand for it. I saw him at uh, Dodger Stadium in September, like right before the playoffs. Started. I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. And he was great. Like, yeah, I was you there. Know, and you always wonder, you know, you see somebody that's been at it for a while, you hear that they're good, but it's like I got to see it for myself, and he was still great. And yeah, it was, I was fantastic. There. It was unreal. So uh, yeah, so. Uh, not so much about the specifics of it, but uh, what do you think about uh, ACDC doing some shows with Axel as the front man? Do you feel like if it, it, is it worth seeing? You know, I mean, it, it, you hope it's a temporary thing. To each his own. Yeah. You know, uh, me personally, yeah. I, I've seen I mean, I love Axel. I'll see Guns N' Roses. Yeah, sure. I got nothing but, against Axel. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to pull the songs off really well. Yeah. He's got the voice for it, but. Um, I, I would have liked to see Brian sent off in a better manner. I would yeah, have liked sure. to see a nice press conference and go, hey, we lost one of our mates, his ears, and and we just want to do the best thing for him, and we want to honor him, and Brian, you have something to say, and Brian's like, yeah, I miss you all, and I, I hope to at least go out, and we're going to keep chugging along, we'll get some other singers, and I'll, I'll introduce the show, and but... Um, so at the end of the day, I as a ACDC fan, yeah. I didn't like the way it all went down. Yeah, I mean it was practically like they traded him to Milwaukee for Carlos Gomez. That's know? exactly <laughs> what happened for Wheeler. Are you crazy? You, you got rid of Wheeler for Gomez? You're bringing it at you. You just you'd even. Are you kidding me, Brian Johnson? For that was about to rock. Hey, thanks for working Thank, with us. Thanks uh, so good much. luck in your future. Yeah. Hell's bound, <laughs> You've been such a great sport these years. Uh, all the best to your future. What? What? If it wasn't for Brian, I wouldn't even know who Bon Scott was. I wouldn't even right. know who ACDC was. He was my gateway to all of ACDC. So. I, yeah, as I, a, no, I agree. Like as I, a fan, I definitely heard the uh, the Brian Johnson songs long before I heard and any man, Bon Scott songs. And man, when you listen to his press conference, what a class act! Yeah, taking that just a just a class act individual, 
And uh, and then hear the other side like, well, you know, let's go work away. We'll see you in the future. Good luck. House <laughs> bells. She's whoa, 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 hot dog. Reel it in. We need a little something better than that. Uh, I'm out. So uh, Brian Johnson isn't the uh, only guest uh, collaborator on the album. Uh, talk about working with uh, Rob Caggiano from uh, Anthrax and Volbeat. And yeah. Volbeat and Anthrax. Yeah. Uh, Rob is a guitar shredder. He's in the band Volbeat. For those of you who don't know Volbeat, great band. Think of Elvis meets Metallica. That's a great, that's a great way to <laughs> describe it. It's Metallica Elvis. Um, he, if it wasn't for Rob Caggiano, this album would be a complete disaster. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't exist. The man pushed me to my limits. Right. He taught me how to find my voice. He made me sing higher. He he made me write better. He made me really s- search for lyrics. He, I, I I owe everything to him for this album. He was an absolute monster on it. Without seriously, when you hear the guitars on this, you're, you're like, this is this is a. Mo-. It's unfortunate if this was 1988. I'd I'd probably have leather pants and a kangaroo. It'd probably be the biggest <laughs> metal album in history. Right. But because it's 2016, yeah, you know, I hope I sell out a house of blues. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So you're going to do some shows with oh, the God, band? Oh, God, I'm touring with this. This is a big yeah. tour. This is, um, I mean, you got to think, guys, people that grew up with that 80s metal and the 90s, 80s, 90s hard rock metal, and now we're grown up with families and yeah. we're fathers and, and like yourself, <laughs> this is exactly who I'm appealing to. Yeah. I'm singing about my family a lot of it, uh, although it's Metallica, Motley Crue, all mixed together, so... It's pretty hot, and I can't wait to tour it. It's going to be a gorilla. Yeah. And your website's just jimbrewer.com. Yeah, so official jimbrewer.com. Okay. Facebook, you know the Met Fan Recap. Yeah, sure. Twitter, the whole shebiggle, and you can find it. Matter of fact, right here, right now, my first music video ever was launched today. It's called Thrash. And you can watch, and it's all about what you do when you're home all alone and the family's out. You thrash, and you listen to your music and tear it up. That's great. Now, I, I saw that the album was on uh, Metal Blade Records. Yes. Does Eddie Trunk still work with them? I know you guys are friends. I, I know that he spent a lot of time with it. Is he, was he involved in Did this? he work with Metal Blade? Yeah, that was uh, early on. That. Like, yeah, he was trying to get them to sign, you know, some actual, like, really... You know, Big market. Yeah, stuff. he got yeah. them to put out the first Ace Freely record because ah, you that know, makes sense. they were all like really heavy, and he was like, "Well, you know, maybe try and you know get something that you can uh, play." Okay. Some. Yeah, all so right. Eddie does not work for them. Okay, but um, I'm sure. You know, I just did a whole big thing with Eddie Trunk. Uh, he lives by me. We're right. friends. Right, no, he and talks about chest. you. Yeah, people call into his show and you know talk about you all the time. And, and he's yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, but I don't think he works with Metal Blade. The head of Brian Slagle. Okay. Who's the head of Metal Blade? He saw me in California last time I was here uh, a couple years ago, and I had a Christmas song that I just did. <laughs> and at the time, my my manager was still a manager. Is Corey Brennan said, "Why don't we give him the the song?" And b- here's the head of the record label sitting next to a dumpster behind a building in my little Toyota rent a car, <laughs> listening to a CD. And he said, "You're gonna do a whole album like this?" When yeah, he goes. He turned to Corey. He's like, "I'm gonna be in your. I'll be in your office Monday." And he he came in Monday. And oh said, wow! I, I want this record. That's great. This is huge. And thank God, it's been between Metal Blade and management and the freaking Caggiano. Uh, I'm gonna be tearing it up the next two years. Tearing it. I, I don't care if there's six people in the audience. 
I'm gonna but rip the, it. Yeah, those six pieces. people are gonna be. They're gonna go nuts. Off. <laughs> shirts off, and then they got. I gotta bring them back to their babysitter. So <laughs> right, home. exactly. Well, yeah, and it's it's true. It's, no moshing, just walking really fast. No, yeah, moshing in a circle. It, yeah, there's you know because I, I just turned forty this year, so it's like moshing. It, it's definitely it's in the past, but every once in a while you see people, and you're just like, whoa, okay, slow, slow it down nod. a little. Yeah, just this. we'll do a slow nod to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. A big a big nap circle in the in the middle of the of the pit. Yeah. So, well, Jim, I really appreciate you, you. Uh, coming on to our uh, debut episode here. It's going to be a fun show, and I couldn't have thought of a better way to kick it off than uh, having you here. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm Christian Blatt, and we'll see you next time on Mets Wrap 360.